Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Stronger Leaders Shaping Tomorrow. I'm Phil Denner, your host here again with the founder and president of Alliant Leadership, Joe Denner. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you doing, Phil? I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. Uh, Now, Joe, we're here in October recording the podcast that's airing November 4th Mm -hmm. because you are going to be out of the country in November. Uh, You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited. Uh, My wife and I are going to be going to South Africa and actually we will also be visiting Zimbabwe. We are going together. Part of this is celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary, which we celebrated on October 20th, which we're also really thankful for. Thank you. It's uh, it's been great uh, reminiscing and posting stuff on Facebook and all that, but uh, it's been fun. But our trip is, is coming up soon, and we're going to have the privilege of uh, speaking to pastors and their wives at a, at a pastor's and wives conference in South Africa. There'll be about 25 pastors and their wives there, and, and then we will be spending time doing some counseling with couples and just checking in with them and seeing how things are going in their marriage and family. Uh, to try to support them in their ministry. So super excited and uh, really looking forward to it. And we'll hopefully share some of that with the audience uh, later on. Fantastic. Yeah, definitely sounds like a very exciting trip. And I know I've been there myself that it's just a beautiful place. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure uh, you are going to have a wonderful time. I know this is your fourth time over there. And this is mom's uh, first time. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure it will be a very exciting trip for you both. Yeah. So we're here today to discuss a very interesting topic, something that managers and uh, any business owners are going to find very, very helpful. We're going to be talking about the seven most common mistakes uh, companies make when hiring. Yes. So I did some research on this, actually, uh, and I found that about 81% of hires are unsuccessful um, mostly due to the fact that they have technical the technical skills, um, but they fail due to uh, lack of coachability, uh, lack of emotional intelligence, no mm. motivation, yeah. uh, among other things. Uh, and do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, no, I th- that resonates very well with uh, the personal experience that I've had in dealing with clients, but also prior to starting my own business, just you know, talking with a lot of other senior leaders who are hiring, I would say that. I think the 81% number is shockingly high, yeah. uh, but um, I I knew that number was well over well over 50%. So that that number is not a big surprise to me. And and we're going to talk about some of the reasons that that's happening today. And uh, I'm also really grateful to say that I I believe that what I have to offer is a value because I've been doing a lot of hiring over the last four years uh, as an ancillary service for my clients. And, and I have upwards of, a, of an 80% success rate. And so yeah. I, I think what I've learned over the years um, has definitely helped with that. And hopefully some of these mistakes we're covering today will, will help our, uh, our audience turn that number around for themselves as well. Yeah, and we had a discussion about the cost of bad hiring decisions. Yeah. And I had uh, found a statistic from the U.S. Department of Labor and Statistics that said, the average cost of bad hiring decisions can co- equal 
30% of the individual's first year potential earnings. And you actually said that it could be even more than that. Yeah, I remember years ago when I was in industry and working and dealing with some different human resource uh, consulting companies, I was actually told that the number could be as much as five to six times the person's salary. Wow. And and I think that varies by situation, but the point is still the same. A bad hire is extremely costly, and not just in dollars and cents, but yeah. in terms of morale and, and all that other kind of, all the ripple effect that that has throughout an organization. Definitely. I've seen that in my own life, mm-hmm. in jobs I've worked, so I can attest to that. So we're going to cover the seven biggest, most common mistakes companies are making uh, as they're going through the search process. Uh, Joe, you want to start taking us through those step, those, uh, those mistakes now? Sure. Uh, the biggest mistake, number one, is that they don't have a well-defined process. Um, I find that a lot of companies are, are really just kind of shooting from the hip with this um, and that there's a number of reasons for that. Some of them, they just don't hire that often, so it's not something they've taken the time to put together a process. Uh, other people just um, have never even thought about putting together a process, and they just kind of do it ad hoc each different time. So this time they do it one way, the next time they do it another way, and, and that really leads to inconsist- inconsistencies uh, in their results. Yeah. Um, and and that, a big reason for that is because often due to the lack of a process, they overlook or miss uh, a really important step. And, and that definitely leads to a problem. So uh, I think also as a part of this, it's really important not only to have a well-defined process, but to make sure that you've mapped it out and, and then make sure that everyone who's gonna be involved uh, understands their role, what's all involved uh, with the process so that they kind of see the big picture and how they fit into it. That's really, really important. And we'll talk more about involvement of other people later, but I think it's really important to map it out, make sure everybody's clear and that they see how they fit into the overall process. And quite frankly, I think it's much easier uh, to do hiring well and to do it consistently well if you have a well-defined process that everybody is on board with. Yeah, just avoiding the constant trial and error yeah. uh, process that companies tend to use, looking for a better way, a better way, instead of finding a way that works and just sticking to that. Yeah, and, and of course, there's nothing wrong with tweaking the process when you find that you're, oh, you're not you know, getting the results that you want. But I agree with you. You should come up with a process and stick to it and, and change it only when it becomes necessary. All right. What is the second biggest mistake companies are making? The second biggest mistake companies make is that they don't create what I call a performance-oriented job description. That's a Mm performance-oriented job description. Most job descriptions are really simple. They have kind of a general summary or overview, and then they often add the duties and responsibilities and then some companies even add an area for qualifications. Just And that's more of an internal piece so that they kind of know what, what they're looking for and what they, what they need. Uh, but there are some critical pieces missing here as far as I'm concerned, and especially from my experience. Um, and that is that there are three pieces that I have started including, and I've done this for probably over 10 years now, uh, pieces that I include in the job descriptions that I put together with and for my clients. Uh, and that is these three things. First of all, is including metrics for success. Uh, in other words, how are you going to measure whether or not this person uh, is or has succeeded in their role? Uh, these would be things like 
some kind of a labor percentage if, if you're dealing with maybe a, a supervisor or superintendent or production manager you know what's the labor percentage that you're shooting for uh, this could be something like a quality rating um, if you've got a person in accounts receivable what how you know what's the day sales outstanding in other words how many days does it take to turn an invoice into cash? So these are just some things that we need to be thinking about because oftentimes we are communicating to our people in terms of activity, which is that list of duties and responsibilities. So that's important. I mean, we want them to yeah. know what they're supposed to be doing, but even more importantly, they need to know what the outcomes of those result of those activities are supposed to be. What's it supposed to look like at the end when all the activities are done? So that's the first piece is the metrics for success. That makes sense? Yeah. So you're you're giving them the expectations up front yes. of what you're expecting them to accomplish. And that's very important in any business setting is to make sure that your employees know the expectations that are that you've made of them so they are able to succeed. Yeah, and actually the Gallup organization has determined that that very question is the most important question in being able to predict whether or not an employee is going to be engaged in their work and be highly productive over a long period of time. Do they know what's expected of them? So that's the first piece is what are the metrics? Uh, the second thing is what I call a behavioral success profile. And what this means is that a person who's been successful in a given role in other environments, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be successful in your environment. And so the idea is to say, what is it really going to take for this person to succeed here? Um, what are some of the unique aspects of our culture? What are some of the unique aspects of that person's manager or maybe even some cultural um, norms and standards in that person's department? And just in terms of that team chemistry, I mean, I think back to, you know, the Chicago Bulls when they won um, their, you know, two different sets of three rings. One of the things that they really stressed was the importance of chemistry and, any, you know, any sports team that has great success, especially over the long term knows the importance of that. So that's yeah. really what this behavioral success profile piece is about, is will they fit in this team? Okay, so the, the idea that I'm getting from this is companies are, I guess, simplifying their uh, job descriptions too much mm -hmm. uh, where people aren't understanding completely what the job entails. And so you're going to get people applying for this job that really aren't going to be a good fit for the job. Uh, yeah. But you don't know that because you don't have those extra pieces in that performance or exactly. job description. And, and these, these pieces of the job description are not necessarily going to go in the ad. So the applicants may not know that they don't fit. But the bigger problem is exactly what you just pointed out, Phil, and that's because these managers have not thought these things through. They don't even know exactly what they're looking for. They haven't defined it. And I'll tell you what, this sounds easy, but ask any manager that I've worked with on these kinds of job descriptions. This can be hard work. I mean, to really think through what are the end results I want from this person is way harder than coming up a list of the stuff I want them to do. Hmm. And and so I hope that hope that's clear. But there's a third piece that's often missing in job descriptions, and that's what are the goals for this position for the first 90 days? 
Um, I actually had a really astute candidate recently who asked me about this during an interview. He, he said, so tell me what a successful nine, first 90 days looks like. And I was, I was really impressed. Uh, I rarely get those kinds of questions from candidates, but that's exactly what we're looking for. What does a successful first 90 days look like? And I think that's a great thing for a manager to think about because it's often gonna be that first 90 days that really sets the tone for whether or not this is gonna be a successful long-term relationship. And so if that's the case, and it is, it's just reality, whether we think that out, you know, out loud or it's, that's a yeah. conscious thought or not, it is reality. That first 90 days, we're both going to decide whether we've made the right decision and or at least, if nothing else, have a real strong sense of that. So, um, as I said, this can be a challenge, uh, but the more thorough uh, job you do up front in defining the metrics for success, the behavioral success profile, and the goals for the first 90 days, the more effective you're going to be at finding the right person. That's very interesting. Uh, what is the third biggest mistake? The third biggest mistake is that they don't spend enough time with the candidates. Uh, I mean, you know, people are in a hurry. People, yeah. and oftentimes it's legitimate. They are in a hurry. They've they've they either fired someone or someone's quit expectedly on them. And there's 40 to 60 hours of work here that needs to be done. And we don't have anybody. And so there's this sense of being hurried and and that's a big problem if you give in to that because if you give in to that that sense of urgency which in this case will push you in the wrong direction um, it, it's gonna hurt you so I really encourage people who are interviewing to interview the candidates multiple times and in different settings uh, both formal and informal uh, I think back to when I was a hiring manager uh, working for somebody else, I used to spend as much as four hours with a candidate, especially if it was a a, uh, a management level candidate wow. or even a um, a frontline person who was is kind of in a, in a senior technical role. I mean, these were key hires. I would spend four hours, and that would be over two to three uh, different interviews that I would spend before I ever made an offer. And I, I recommend that same level of rigor uh, to our listeners. The bottom line is the more time you spend with them, the more likely you are to see the real them. And quite frankly, they see the real you. Yeah. Um, a huge motto of mine in the hiring process is no surprises. I tell my clients that. I tell the interviewees that. I say, listen, there's no point and hiding and posturing. Let's get it all on the table. Let's decide if this is a good fit for both of us. And the only way to find that out is to be open and honest. And the best way to break through the exterior of that person's kind of putting on their best front is to spend a lot of time with them. Yeah, I mean, I think the longest interview that I've ever had in my life was probably about 20 minutes. And granted, it <laughs> okay. wasn't for yeah. a big job, but still not getting to know me, you know, if I was a different person, it could have led to a disaster right? Uh, because that's probably the same amount of time they're giving to other employees. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And going back to what you said about being in a rush because they're trying to replace workers. I read a stat that said 75% 70, of the demand to hire new employees is simply to replace workers 
who have left the company. And I, it, it seems like it's just a circle process of yeah. you lose someone and you rush to hire someone else and then you lose them. And it's just, you know, a constant cycle. Yep. Vicious cycle. Yep. So, you know, taking that extra time to get to know the candidate uh, will really help you in the long run. Yeah, and, and one of the things, let me just make sure I mention this specifically, I would say one of the most important features that I recommend to my clients is that they do a final informal interview where they get that person completely out of the normal environment. Uh, I often say, hey, you and your spouse, take them and their spouse or their significant other out and just relax and hang out for the evening um, and spend time with them because boy, that is especially a time when the real them is going to come through. And I've actually had candidates who I've interviewed over a lunch who I was really excited about. And after that lunch, I thought there's no way I'm hiring that person. Hmm. And, and I've heard others say the same thing, that when you get them into that environment, they relax. They kind of almost, they think they've got it in the bag and they really kind of let their hair down, so to speak. And you want that. You want them to be yeah. the real them. And so that final kind of informal interview is often a time that provides some pretty important insights. Yeah, definitely. Again, folks, we are discussing the seven biggest mistakes companies make uh, when going through the search process. I'm here with Joe Denner. I encourage you to visit his site, joedenner.com. Check out his blog. Subscribe to that blog, and you will get his free, uh, his ebook, 10 Ways to Get more of what you want is a free gift. Mm -hmm. uh, we've so far discussed the first three biggest mistakes companies are making. Uh, number one, they don't have a well-defined process. Number two, they don't put together a performance-oriented job description. And number three, they do not spend enough time with the candidate. Joe, we're going to go into the fourth biggest mistake. Take it away. Number four is uh, neglecting to check for alignment with core values. Uh, values drive behavior. Uh, they really answer the question, how do we behave around here? Uh, how do we make decisions? What are uh, the non-negotiables about what we believe about how we're going to run this business? And it is really critical. I cannot stress this enough. It is really critical to make sure that candidates um, are in line with your core values. You need to understand as best you can uh, what they believe down in the core of who they are and find out whether that lines up with what the leadership of your organization has agreed to as what are the non-negotiables. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, you know, we're not talking about personality differences here. Uh, different personalities bring different perspectives to a situation, to a problem or an opportunity, and that's good. That's really good. Um, so let me just give you a couple examples from uh, clients that I've worked with even recently uh, of examples of core values that they have identified and then begun to work into the hiring and even the performance evaluation process as well. First one uh, is from a client that says, we embrace a spirit of transparency. They want an environment where management is open with employees, employees is open with management. There's the sharing of of company data, financial information with the employees. They want the employees being willing and ready and able to confront, you know, even uh, people higher up in the organization with uh, concerns, frustrations. So they, they want uh, a spirit of transparency. Mm -hmm. And so you need to interview for that. You need to figure out whether or not this person is going to be open. Are they going to be willing to receive 
constructive feedback, both from superiors and subordinates. And so that's something you've got to look for. Another one of my clients has a, this is one of my favorite values is take it, own it, do it. Hmm. And, and they just have this, this philosophy that says, listen, we don't have time for people to wait around and be told what to do. We need people who've got self, you know, they're self-motivated, that take initiative, that see a problem and go after it and, and do that with discernment and with the appropriate judgment. And so they're really looking for people who are going to take action, who are going to take ownership and, and really follow something through. Well, yeah, just making sure there is that alignment of core values. Having the same core values is going to give them an extra motivation to work harder. Uh, at their job, they're going to be more excited about it, and in turn, hopefully, they're going to be more successful in what they do. Uh, so I think that that's very important to make sure that there is that alignment. Yeah, and it's just another part of identifying whether or not there's a fit here, and and that yeah. is, is do we believe the same kinds of things in terms of how this business should be run? We're not again, we're not talking about personality differences. We're talking about things that drive us at the core of who we are, and it's uh, it's super critical, I believe, to have a diverse work and you know group, people with lots of different perspectives and and personality types. But when it comes down to core values, you've got to be in alignment, or very quickly, it's going to start surfacing that this person just doesn't fit here. Yeah. What is the fourth biggest mistake, Joe? Well, um, actually, number five, number five, number five is that they rely too much on a candidate's experience. I, I can't tell you how many um, clients that I've talked with or leaders that I've talked with who are just pouring through piles and piles of resumes looking at, 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 at things. And again, in some at some level, that's a necessary part of this process. But here's the problem. It's easy to get enamored with a person's experience, but. This can be very misleading. Uh, just because somebody's done something somewhere else does not guarantee that they can do it for you or in your environment. Yeah, so, that's very correct. <laughs> yeah, I mean, experience is important. There are certain basic levels uh, of experience that a person needs to have to do certain roles and functions. But here's my motto, hire for attitude, train for skills. Um, I'll mm. say it again, hire for attitude, train for skills. This is a huge motto and I think more and more people are getting on board with this because they have seen what can happen when all they focus on is a person's skills and, and their background. Now, listen, you know, they're obviously a person needs to have a certain basic level of skills for certain positions. In other words, I'm not going to hire an accountant or a controller who doesn't know generally accepted accounting principles. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to hire a surgeon who isn't a qualified medical doctor and yeah. has the appropriate training. But but I don't necessarily need the most highly skilled accountant in the world if I've got a person who's rock solid at accounting but has a shining character and attitude and values that align with our organization, you know, they can learn, they can grow in their abilities as a controller, as an accounting manager, or even a CFO. Um, but again, really, really important not to get enamored with their experience because sometimes what happens is that with experience comes baggage. And, yeah. and you want people who can get on board uh, with you and learn to do it the way you do it. Yeah, absolutely. I remember 
back at one of my jobs when I was actually in the interview process. It was a restaurant job, and I told him, I said, you know, I don't have any uh, f- previous restaurant experience, um, but I love I love people. Uh, I love interacting with people, and I could, I'm a great team player. I think I would fit really well here. Mm-hmm. And the person who was interviewing me said, actually, Phil, we actually like that because when you get people that come in here that already have restaurant training, they've done serving in different areas, they have a certain way that they're used to doing things and they don't want to change that. And so when they come into our restaurant and we have certain standards, you know, it's very difficult for them to fit into those standards. Yeah. Yep. So I'd just say last thing real quick is, is focus your questions in the interviews on what I call behavioral questions. That is, questions that get at issues of character and attitude and we don't have time to go into that Um, you can certainly contact me if you have questions about that but um, behavioral questions are the best questions all right well we've covered five of the biggest mistakes so far number one they don't have a well-defined process number two they don't create a performance oriented job description number three they don't spend enough time with the candidates Number four, neglecting to check for alignment with core values. And number five, they rely too much on a candidate's experience. Yeah. What is number six, Joe? Number six is that they don't get enough people involved. Hmm. And I alluded to this earlier. Yeah. Uh, but I would just say it's really important to involve as many people as you possibly can without making this too cumbersome. But uh, include somewhere along the lines people with whom the individual will be working. Um, you want to include people whose judgment you value and trust. Uh, because each person brings a different perspective. It's important that you don't get tunnel vision and only hire people that you like and that click with you and that you know your gut instinct is that this is the right person. You want other perspectives, other views. And when you decide to involve someone, make sure you listen to them. Yeah. Make sure you listen to what they have to say because I have an example from the past where I was involved in the hiring process along with two um, senior leaders and I I just had a real check in my spirit about a person. I just, something I couldn't put my finger on it, but I said, something's wrong with this guy. And because I couldn't get real clear about it, they just kind of passed right by me, mm. hired the guy, and it turned out to be a major, major disaster. Wow. And so, again, if you've decided to include this person because you value their judgment, they're going to be somebody who this person would be working with or at least would interface with on some level, listen to their input and, and give it weight. Uh, and then the final thing is, uh, especially for small business owners, I would encourage you to include your spouse or your significant other, especially if they've been with you for a long time, uh, in the final interview, in that informal interview over a meal, because again, your spouse has a completely different perspective than you do most times, and they're going to see things and hear things that you don't see and hear, and that really goes for everybody throughout the whole process, but you've got to involve enough people. Yeah, definitely. I, I like what you said there about perspective, bringing other people in. Uh, they can view them because sometimes as an interviewer, you're going to maybe almost get a tunnel vision, mm-hmm. uh, especially with someone that you like. Yes. You f- feel that would be a good fit. So to bring yep. someone else in that can observe and possibly pick out something that you didn't see is just so important. Yep. I've seen it happen again and again. So, All right. And our final biggest mistake, number seven. Yeah. Number seven 
is that they don't do meaningful reference checks. Uh, this is one that you know very few of my clients want to do or even think that they should give time to, and they they often don't think it's necessary because they just assume the person's going to give them great references. So hey, why waste the time? Um, but here are my thoughts. I think if you ask good questions, you can get valuable insight, even from a what we might call a very positive reference. I'll give you a quick example. I was doing an interview for a, a higher level operations manager recently, and uh, and I called the references and checked on them. And man, I'm these weren't just good references. These guys were glowing, but they, <laughs> they weren't like goofy, sappy, over the top, but they were strong, strong references. But what I did was after I let them go on and on about how great of a person this was, I actually had some specific questions that I asked them that related to just one area of concern that we had about this candidate. And I was able to ask the question in such a way that they gave me a super honest and open answer that completely put our fears to rest. And, and I thought that was critically, critically important. Hmm. So it is possible. Um, I've also looked up previous bosses. So maybe they, on their resume, they haven't given you references from each of their previous jobs. I've actually gone out and done some research and found those previous bosses and called them to, uh, to explore with them. And then lastly, you know, sometimes we're going to run into HR departments that, uh, or even bosses who won't give you any substantive answers. All they're going to do is tell you what dates they work there and, and tell you just, you know, basically nothing. However, again, I find that if you press and if you ask good questions, a lot of times you can break through that gatekeeper mentality. And, and, and lastly, let me just say this about this, and that is the one question I would always ask is, would you hire this person again if you had the opportunity? And if they don't answer immediately and emphatically with an affirmative response, then that is a major yellow flag. And so you want to really listen clearly um, for the, the timing and the, the, how emphatic they are in their answer. And then, then I would go ahead and I would double check things like dates and salary amounts that they've given you because you want to double check and make sure that this person has been uh, up front with you. But do not neglect reference checks. They are a critical part of the process. All right. Well, Joe, we're just about out of time here, mm -hmm. but... Just as an overall uh, final thought for this this podcast here, the sense I'm getting is is take the extra time. Yes, um, it's really gonna work out in the end for you. It's worth it. Yeah. So, folks, I just really want to encourage you if you uh, find these this information helpful, I encourage you to pass it on to your friends, uh, direct them to this podcast. It can be very helpful for them too. I also, again, encourage you to visit Joe's site, joedenner.com. Subscribe to his blog. Uh, share it with your friends. This could be very helpful information uh, for them, especially as business owners or managers, and I would really, really encourage you uh, to do that. And Joe, we just want to say thank you again for uh, taking the time out today to talk with us about the seven biggest mistakes companies are making when hiring. Again, do it. They, uh, these mistakes are they don't have a well-defined process, they don't create a performance-oriented job description, they don't spend enough time with candidates, they are neglecting to check for alignment with core values, they rely too much on a candidate's experience, 
They don't involve enough people and they don't do meaningful reference checks. Again, one last time, Joe, thanks so much my pleasure. Uh, for all the time. Again, folks, my name is Phil Denner. I'm your host. Uh, join us again next time for another episode of Stronger Leaders Shaping Tomorrow.